Hello and welcome to Running Inside Out Podcast, where we talk about the races we run in, the races we're not in, and getting outside to see what's going on inside the Rochester running scene. In this episode, Nate Huckle makes his way down the thruway to chat about things such as uh, racing uh, really fast when he's really young and really dedicated, uh, Muddy Sneaker, uh, if I can squeeze some stories out of him about the olden days, uh, coaching, mentoring, uh, pacing his uh, students and friends, uh, volunteering, and anything else that might come up. Nate has been a uh, great friend, coach, and mentor to many people in the running community and constantly finds opportunities to give back and provide a positive influence wherever he may find himself. So I'm really happy to have him on the podcast and to uh, share some of his stories. Uh, One real quick note. So I pushed this Patreon a bit lately, and uh, if you like to support the podcast financially, I'd suggest, uh, suggest please Find that Patreon link in the show notes and know that any amount is appreciated. But if you heard that and supporting via Patreon isn't for you, then you can also help out by dropping a review of the podcast on iTunes. You know, slap a five-star rating on the counter, leave a few nice words as a tip, and that'll help many more folks find the podcast, uh, which is really what we're all about. So thank you very much if you choose to do that. And with that, let's get into the trails, training, food, friends, and yes, even feelings of runners just like you. Hey, Nate. Hey, Chris. How's it going? Real good, thanks. Yeah. Thanks for having me on this evening. Yeah, was it a uh, good trip down the thruway? <laughs> yeah, it was. It was. It was nice and uh, even got a little bit, got out here a little early and caught a few miles in Menden Pond. So. Oh, wow. Yeah, I managed to sneak a little bit of a oh, run in. That's why you were 715. It was while I was 15 <laughs> minutes late. I always get carried away. Oh, that's awesome, dude. That's a good deal. I uh, I snuck out to Durand Eastman before. Um, I work up in Irondequoit, so I just kind of swung up and 45 minutes on the trail and drive down Goodman Street. Works out pretty well. Nice. Yeah. So there you go. We're both uh, we're both worked out and ready to relax. Yep. Absolutely. So um, I had mentioned to you, uh, well, and you heard in the intro, one of the things I'm I'm I appreciate when I get to hang out with you and you're around is just that general positive, uh, general positive influence overall with coaching and mentoring. I know you do like the things uh, with volunteering at races like you run aid stations at twisted branch now you have your uh coaching at canisius you used to coach at brighton Mm -hmm. um so uh what's going on with you uh recently yeah what what isn't going on with me recently i'm kind of all over the place um i'm still trying to fit all of that in while also trying to uh be the best father that I can be. My my uh, daughter Delaney's turning one year old this Saturday, so That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. So it's been a trip the last year to try to uh, <laughs> maintain some of my identity as a as a runner and still do my job as a coach, but uh, you know, still be a, a good husband and a and a good father and navigating those waters because there's no uh, Jack Daniels running formula for parenting that I've found yet. So. No, nope. and, yeah. and Jack Daniels also isn't the right thing for parents. Right, yeah, no, absolutely not. <laughs> so I I actually started my second running career after I had kids, 
because I was doing the uh, wake up, hold a baby, go to work, come home, hold a baby, go to bed. Mm-hmm. And I was like, ah, I need, I, I'm at, uh. And so one day I put the kids to bed and I was like, I'm going for a run. And my wife was like, what? You don't run. And I was like, I'll show you. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so I started, you know, running at like 10 o'clock at night just because I needed, you know, a half hour, an hour to myself. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that's the the tough part is uh, mm-hmm. just finding that time to decompress. And, mm-hmm. you know, especially if you're an introvert and you need, you know, like my jo- I'm I'm definitely an introvert in my job all day long. I'm dealing with people in my department and then, you know, I'm dealing with my athletes at practice and I've got to be present for my wife when I come home and, and present for my daughter. And so then finding that bit of the day where, you know, I can kind of hit the recharge a little bit is is a challenge, but uh, but I get it done. Yeah, and I mentioned that you're you're constantly. It seems like you're. A lot of people confuse what an introvert is mm-hmm. and an extrovert. And um, to me, uh, an extrovert gains energy from being around people and sort of interacting, and, right. and they get energized for it. It doesn't mean that an introvert doesn't like people. Right. It's just like you said. It's a need to recharge at the end. Yeah, I'm not misanthropic by any means. You know, it's <laughs> I do spend my time surrounded by people. It's just uh, I process uh, on my own. You know, introverts usually process internally, mm-hmm. and uh, extroverts kind of you know, that stream of consciousness consciousness talk, and yeah. you you know everything that they're thinking, and um, it's it's all good. I, I really enjoy you know having my um, my job be uh, you know interactive with people. It's just I do need that that recharge time. Yeah, I do. I have a lot of that at my work. Even though I'm a computer dork, I still have a lot of coordinating and interacting and meetings and making things sort of happen. And then after work, I'm like, can I just breathe for a mm-hmm. minute, you know? And that, that certainly becomes a challenge with adding a family. And Oh, yeah. But I think that's why we all uh, run to the woods. Right? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was a big part of my, uh, you know, reason for planning a couple of my races this, uh, this, you know, early summer was to, to get out and have a couple of long days in the woods and Mm -hmm. just be able to recharge a little bit and see the Rochester running community as well. I don't get to interact as much as I used to. So it's nice to get back out here and, and, uh, catch up with everyone. Yeah. And you, and that's probably why you decided to, uh, take a detour to Menden real quick, right? Yeah. Yep. I'm gonna. I I need to sit down and talk to somebody for an hour on a right. microphone. Recharge a little bit first. <laughs> I need to get my head right. Yeah. Yep. Um. So you mentioned your uh, your athletes, mm-hmm. and uh, I mentioned that you're coaching at Canisius. Yes. Um. So can you share a little bit about um what that is? Yeah, it's a, it's a great uh, experience. We're a you know small Division One college mid major and. Um, you know, being a mid-major, we really push the academic side of things. So, you know, I get competitive athletes in there, but they're well-rounded athletes or student athletes. You know, they they really we really put the focus on student. Um, I think it's something where you know I'm trying to get them to compete at the highest level possible and reach their physical potential. But my big push is to become the best human beings possible that they can be by the time they graduate. You know, I want to see that personal growth over the four years or, or five years that they're there if they choose to redshirt for a year. So yeah. it's I I did high school for about ten years. I coached at the high school level. I took a year off in between, and the biggest thing that I missed was the mentoring process. Yeah. Um, the competition is great. You know, seeing them succeed, 
uh, and reach their personal goals is fantastic. Seeing them compete at a high level is great. Um, but just helping them through, help, helping them navigate adolescence and, uh, you know, those um, – uh, just a lot of the pitfalls that you hit now, you know, the difference between high school and college is just their burgeoning independence, you know, <laughs> going off and trying to be adults on their own. And, you know, uh, was it, uh, Jeff Green at one point I was running with him and he's like, I was, oh. was going to count the number of minutes it took. that took to reference Jeff Green. <laughs> <laughs> it, Jeff's a great guy, but he, you know, he said, um, you know, it must be so much easier coaching at the college level. Uh, and I was like, oh man, no, it's way harder because, you know, at the high school level, they go home to their parents with all their problems at the college level, you know, it's, um, yeah. they're, they're at school. And so you're the first line of support a lot of right. times or, so, or whatever those consequences might be. Right. Right. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. Ooh. So, yeah, but it, it's a fantastic job. I really do get to interact with a uh, great staff at Canisius. Um, you know, a lot of the coaches are fantastic. Um, and the student athletes are, are excellent. I really, uh, it keeps me motivated. It keeps me in the sport, keeps me hungry to, you know, internalize as much as I can and, um, you know, give back as much as I can to the student athletes. Yeah. And you, you had mentioned you coach both uh, men's and women's cross country, correct? Yeah. And track indoor and and outdoor. Okay. So you're, you're the running coach. I am. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that, that's like three jobs, it's, four jobs. It's a lot, yeah. <laughs> that's that's men's track, women's track, men's cross country, women's cross country. Mm-hmm. Um, do you find a lot of the same athletes, or do you actually have four groups of athletes? No, we're a distance-only roster, so it's pretty much the same athletes okay. from, you know, they'll come in on uh, August 14th this year, and they'll have the same athletes all the way through till they go home for the winter break, and then they'll all come back and be with me for the spring semester. Wow. So they'll show up on August 14th and you'll bring them to Twisted Branch on August 17th? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a heck of an introduction. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to circle back to that. Sure. Um, because that's certainly one of the one of the things I noticed when you talked about my athletes will be there. And, mm-hmm. and that's definitely something. But um, you mentioned you coached at the high school level for 10 years. Yeah. And that was at Brighton, right? Yes. Yep. That's where you met the... Uh, infamous Jeff Green. Right? Yes, Jeff Green, yep, was at Brighton. He was one of my athletes there. When he was only, uh, what, uh, 28 years old? At yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, he was a young, and I think I started coaching him when he was uh, probably ninth grade, I'm pretty yeah. sure. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, so um, you, you had talked, you mentioned that you did that for 10 years, mm-hmm. took a little break, went to college. When you were, were you straight up, I'm a cross country coach at Brighton or did you do other stuff in general? Oh, as far as my career at that point, I was an English teacher as well. So I taught at the middle school at 12 corners middle school for 10 years. Yeah. 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 So I, I didn't anticipate coaching right away. I was kind of doing my own thing and I was, uh, linked up with, um, team Brownstone at that point, which was, uh, an elite development, you know, um, Olympic development group in Rochester for the marathon. Um, and I started teaching at Brighton and I had, uh, a couple of kids in my homeroom that were on the cross country team and they were on the modified team. And they came up and asked me in homeroom one day, you know, what, would it be possible for a coach to start mid season coaching the athletes? Like, why, what, you know, what are you talking about? Like, well, we're just not getting a lot of attention, uh, because there was no modified coach at that time. So, I went and volunteered for the rest of the season and 
Uh, I think we had about 10 kids on the team that year, and then the next year I volunteered again, and we had 50 uh, modified kids. Wow, and, you uh, got a reputation pretty quick. Yeah, I, I got them out for the team, and that, that was a lot of our success at Brighton was just getting numbers out. You know, me yeah. being in the middle school, I could, you know, kind of develop that relationship with them early, and then they'd come out for the team in the high school or in, you know, eighth mm-hmm. grade. And, uh, yeah, it was a great experience. Really enjoyed mm-hmm. it. Yeah, no wonder why you were able to break out misanthropic. Yeah, quickly. well, yes. <laughs> I, I do sometimes uh, get a little verbose. Oh, so well, that's great. I, I mean, try to well, contain myself. Well, and it's nice to find an, an uh, not oft-used word, right. you know. Yeah. Um. Okay, so Team Brownstone, mm-hmm. that's an interesting, uh, that's a name I've only heard a few times. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I... Like you said, uh, I knew it as like a, a local group here mm-hmm. that was really trying to get people to um, Olympic qualifiers. Correct. Yeah. 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 There were some great runners on that team. That was, uh, you know, when when um, Todd Reeser, uh, before he became Todd Meyer. So Todd Reeser, uh, who is now Todd Meyer, Scott Bagley ran with us. Um, mm-hmm. Derek Jones, who is still killing it at the master's level. Um, we had uh, Jason DeJoy joined us a couple of times. Um Jeff Winden, um, and then Ryan Pauling came in. There were a couple guys that came in from out of town, and then you know Ryan ended up staying in Rochester. But uh, but yeah, we had a really good group of guys and, and a, an elite w- women's team as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I really had no business running with them. Um, it was just something where you know as I knew it existed, and I said, "Hey, can I come and join you guys?" And they were nice enough to let me come and you know kick my butt every day in runs and. Uh, I learned a lot from them. It was great. I got to tag along to a couple of Olympic trials. I got to meet some um, some really uh, outstanding national level athletes, and uh, it was fun. It was it kind of opened my eyes too. Before that, I was just a you know Division three runner that ran for SUNY Brockport and loved it, and thought that you know my running was the world, and and I was kind of sheltered a little bit, and then got into uh, you know some of those national competitions where I'm struggling to stay in the top 10 for the women um you know and and seeing that it was and seeing the you know the highest level of competition was just kind of like okay there's there's more out here than i realized mm-hmm. you know and it's always good to be humbled it's always good to see where the next level is and uh you know to be able to um i don't know just kind of have your horizons broadened a little bit yeah at, well and it's that level of competition that makes you realize you know how much further you can push yourself right? absolutely yeah so uh, top 10 for the women, I know Weldon is usually in the top 10 for the women and he's, he's finished top 10 most times, mm-hmm. um, beating, beating most of the women, but usually losing to nine of them. <laughs> right. Um, so what, what years were those for you? Oh, those were like the late nineties, maybe 99 through the early two thousands, maybe 2002, 2003. I think I was with them for about four or five years. Wow. Okay, that's yeah. a long stint then. Yeah, that's, that's I think not something short. Yeah, yeah. It was it was probably four or five, and once I got into the heavy coaching at Brighton around two thousand one, two thousand two, I kind of spent less time with them and more time mm-hmm. dedicated to my coaching. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, late late nineties to early two thousands, really. And uh, yeah, I mean, I was I was going out to like the national half marathon championships and. Um, getting some pretty good exposure to some high level mm-hmm. racing and hanging out with guys. I remember after the um, the national half championships, hanging out with like Libby Hickman and Rod DeHaven and you know people that went and represented the U.S. in the, yeah. the 2000 Olympics. So it was it was pretty cool. It was a neat experience. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's why I do this podcast, so I can hang out with people like Nate Hawking. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> uh, the You mentioned your college running uh, slightly before that. Mm-hmm. And so SUNY school, so yes. again, small school means you can sort of find your place a little bit. Uh, were you always a runner, and did you go to college for running? I've always been a runner in that... Uh... I've always liked being outdoors and I like exploring, you know, and that's a big part of why I'm still in it and still doing like, I love the ultras because, you know, when I got back into the ultra scene, uh, it was twisted branch. The the first year that that took place, was it 14 or 15, uh, 15. 15. And yeah, 15. I was like 60 plus miles on a point to point course, you know, point to point trail. Like, yeah, sign me up. You yeah. know, I want to see all of that. Yeah. And it was fantastic. Um, I mean, I, I grew up, uh, on a dirt road way out in the country in the Southern tier. And, uh, most of my, you know, days during the summertime and afternoons after school early on, were just exploring the hillsides and just doing whatever I wanted, following streams and, you know, doing whatever. And, uh, so cross country, I had a couple of friends that did it in middle school and they got me to go out for the team. And, um, yeah, from there, you know, seventh grade, I started and just kind of followed it all the way through and, wasn't sure if I was going to run in college, um, but I called the coach up uh, a week before the, the school year was to start. And he said, oh, yeah, we're starting on Monday. I think I called him on Friday, and it was starting Monday. Um, so he added me to the roster, and I walked on, and it was a great experience. Yeah. yeah the coach at Brockport at that time was John Izzo, who went on to have a very uh, strong coaching career at the U of R. And uh, he was very formative in, in my developing a passion for the sport and, and, you know, the, the longevity that I've had in the sport. And also for me, stepping into coaching, um, made it, he made a great impact on me, um, uh, in my life. And so I figured, you know, if, if I want to do something meaningful, I should try to have an impact on others as well. So that's really, you know, it's, so we've, we've found the seed here. Mm-hmm. We found sort of the, uh, it, and, um, it's, it's always interesting to find out what gets people started. So exploring in the woods got you started, but then somebody taking the time to help you learn and um, giving you a chance and then you seeing their positive influence and wanting to sort of emulate that, knowing the effect it had. You know, it's like it's uh, building blocks, mm-hmm. you know, and that's, that's what I said. Um, I admire you bring these kids that, okay, you signed up, college running. Well, guess what you're doing? You're going to be serving water at an aid station in Prattsburg. Right, yeah, <laughs> you know? on the side of a road someplace, yeah. <laughs> and and you're going to enjoy it, mm-hmm. darn it. <laughs> yeah, and they do. And, and, you know, it's all about how you package it, right? It's it's mm-hmm. about getting them to buy into the experience. And, yeah. you know, that's a, that's a big part of what I'm about. Like, you know, that's why I came out here for the podcast, like, can't turn down an experience. Yeah. I've never been on a podcast before, you know, and <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's, that could be great. You know, let's, let's yeah. go do it. And, you know, so I'm pretty good at selling the experience at Canisius, you know, mm-hmm. in, in the recruiting process. And then once the athletes get there, I can usually sell them on, Hey, we're driving two hours down to the middle of nowhere to, you know, mm-hmm. pass out water for nine mm-hmm. hours. Yeah, Doesn't that sound like fun? <laughs> we're going to experience the human condition. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, and, and that's what I prep them for. I think this year before we, uh, we had down the night before we might watch the uh, the Barclays Marathon, uh, yeah. you know, documentary, and just say, yeah, you're going to see some some humanity tomorrow. You're, yeah. you're gonna, it's going to hit you in the face. And yeah, you guys run four miles and feel right. this way. They've run sixty miles when mm-hmm. they see you. 
And it's funny too, because, uh, you know, we've been doing this, I think this will be our third year that we've done it. And, uh, some of my student athletes have said, I don't know what to do when I'm there. You know, like Mm -hmm. we, we had a a 5k that we run in the spring and and we, we hosted at Canisius and, uh, you know, we're always out there doing, you know, crowd support and doing the aid station and doing the turns and, you know, marshals and everything. And they understand that. But when they have somebody that's running through and they come into the aid station and they're just like white as a ghost <laughs> and, you know, they sit down in a chair and you're not, they, they don't know how to interact with them. Mm-hmm. They've never seen somebody in that condition. They've never been in that condition. And they're like, what do I say? Do I stay away from them? Do I get close to them? Yeah. Are they going to throw up on me? You know, like what's, <laughs> what's going to happen here? You know, so it's, it's a great experience for them. Yeah. It, it's, it's amazing. I think about what, what they what tool they now have in their toolkit mm-hmm. for later on yeah right like it's not a um it, it's it's not this like tangible thing that you can say oh anywhere you'll go when you see a person like this you'll offer them a salt tab right. or water right but it's this intangible empathetic kind of you know skill that mm-hmm. i i think aid station working gives you you know you do things either crewing or pacing or working at an ultra aid station that you you don't um you don't think before you just sign up that right. you're going to do that. I didn't know that I'm going to be taking off your socks. Yeah, washing but, your feet for yeah, you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that, but here I am and right. I'm doing it cuz yep. cuz you would do it for me. Yep. <laughs> uh you had mentioned that you weren't on a podcast, but you did do the Medved Voices from the Trail. I, I stand corrected. Yep. Yes. Um, and in that you talked about, oh, my favorite part of it was you talked about type two fun. Yes. And the reason is because Matt Bertrand and I, one of our first ever podcasts was called type two fun. Okay. Because Matt, Matt described type two fun one day going for a run and ending up in this place where you're like, I'm not sure we should be running this way. Mm-hmm. I don't know how we get down. I don't know how we get up. It's raining. It's getting dark. And it's not fun while you're having the fun. Right. But it's fun to have had the fun. To look back on it. Yeah. Yeah. And type two fun can be a, a great catalyst for relationships. Mm-hmm. You know, and I mean, running is a, is already a catalyst for, you know, uh, or, you know, speeding the, the relationship process along. But, um, yeah, type two fun can really do that for you. Yeah. And you had talked about taking some people out on some trips where perhaps you thought, Maybe you had the mentoring thing a little bit backwards. <laughs> yes, yeah, absolutely. Um, but that idea that running helps speed relationships along, mm-hmm. I, I find that to be so true. Um, I Like I mentioned to you and like people that listen to all the episodes would know, just um, the previous episode was a girl that I went to high school with, and we hadn't hung out since our junior year in high school. And um, she listened to the podcast and kind of sends me a message and says, you know, thank you. I like this. I'm able to listen to runners talking. I finally got some running friends, et cetera. Um, We went in on a little 45-minute run, and we caught up on Mm -hmm. 20 years, you know, in 45 minutes. And now we're at a place where we can have other conversations besides remember that time in homeroom, (laughs) you know? Right. Or, um, hey, 
yeah, uh, when you got shin splints, maybe you should do these foot exercises. Now we have the whole breadth of how's your family and where you're going, and I hope that job's doing well for you, and, you know, all of that in a, a one-hour run, mm-hmm. which is pretty amazing. Yeah, it is. It's it's a strange phenomenon. I think part of it, I've, I've talked with a couple of my friends about this, and I think part of it is just you're not looking at each other, right? And so, like, <laughs> eye contact sometimes is so difficult for people when you're running. And, and I think sure. when you're not making eye contact the whole time, it's just easy to go to a more personal place quicker. Uh, and, you know, I think that the, the exertion of it and, you know, the oxygen flow and whatnot, I think there are a number of things that probably contribute to uh, getting, you know, more personal on runs, but yeah, I thought it was really just the sweating and farting. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> I never, I never thought about the <laughs> eye contact part of it, but, yeah. but that definitely is a piece of it because mm-hmm. your, your thoughts are coming and you're, I just, I feel like we have such a lack of filter. There's, n- there's not time for a filter. Right. And there's not that mental energy for a, should I, or shouldn't I say this or share this? Yeah. And I also think there's kind of a, there's no judgment, right? Like, because you're huffing and puffing and running, you might say something completely off the wall. And that person might think, whoa, that was weird. All they have to do is keep running and huffing and puffing. Right. And you'll just think, oh, we're just running. You know, either they heard it or they didn't. But the important thing was that I said it, you know. Do you run with your athletes at Canisius? I do. Uh, when I first went in, I ran with the men's team a lot, and then they got a lot faster, and I got older. And uh, <laughs> so, you know, now I run with the women's team more. Um, they don't find me as humorous as the men's mm. team did, but uh, I really do enjoy running with my women's group. Um, one of the main reasons I, I get to know them better, you know, and mm. I really get to understand who they are and and you know how they're approaching running how they're doing in in their personal lives um i don't run with them every day uh that was one of the things i learned coaching at the high school level was if you're running a hard workout with the athletes you're only coaching a few athletes mm-hmm. you know and you just can't do it like i could run hard workouts with a lot of my women but i would only be coaching a few rather than the 20 or 22 that i have on the team yeah. You know, or, you know, if I've got the men and the women working out at the same time, then I'm trying to coach 40 and I can't possibly do that when I'm sucking wind after intervals. Yeah. Um, you know, so yeah, I love work, running with the, uh, with the, with the kids on the team and, um, with the women's team, especially I can take them all over Buffalo, you know, cause I love to explore. And so I'll run through areas where, you know, maybe necessarily you don't want to run by yourself if you're a female athlete. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I can kind of show them different, you know, they, feel safer with me and we can go explore different things than they Mm -hmm. would, you know, just by themselves. Yeah. And that that sort of was one of the reasons I was asking is if you felt like running with them helped, um, grow that relationship and further that trust and Mm -hmm. that, um, what the message you're trying to convey to them and their willingness to do the workouts for you or with you. And it, it seems to me like if you're running with them, um, one, you get to see them either struggling or not and how they're handling the workout. Right. But also they know you're there with them. So to me, um, having a huge team has got to be a challenge because you you may want to run with everybody. But I like the idea of you pick and choose your groups to run with because you also have to give them a little bit of space too, right? right? Yep. They have to be able to complain about you too. They right? don't want to run with me every day. Yeah. yeah. 
You yeah. have to be able to be like, can you believe we're doing this right. again? Yeah. <laughs> and, and sometimes that's good for them to be able to go out and do that. And then sometimes it's good for them to see me, you know, if it's, if it's, uh, 12 degrees and, you know, snowing like crazy and, uh, I'm out there slogging through it with them, you know, it just, yeah. they're like, okay, coach is getting out here. So, you know, we can get out here and do this. Yeah. That's good. I, I, uh, my, I mentioned in the last episode because it was my high school, I had, I had run cross country the last two years of high school. Um, I didn't really run all that much, but I was kind of just on the team. But at graduation, I thought like I was going to go tell my coach, Hey, like I'm getting this, I'm getting into this thing. I'm ready. You know, like, thank you. And he's like, yeah, you should be a, you're, you're more of a recreational runner. And in the past 25 years, I've taken that and turned it into keep enjoying it. Please do it for the fun is what he was, what he was trying to tell me. Right. (laughs) That's what I that's what I think he was saying. Hopefully. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that yeah. that's something that I've come to come to understand better with time as well is that uh running is running, right? Like yes, some people run faster and run at a higher level of performance, but at the end of the day it's all just running. There is no there's really no hierarchy in it. You know, mm-hmm. if if you're getting out and you're staying healthy and you're running half an hour a day, that's fantastic. You know, that's a lot better than not running at all and there shouldn't be an elitism from, mm-hmm. you know, anybody coming down from, well, you know, you're a hobby jogger or a recreational <laughs> runner or any of yeah. those things. Like it's all relevant. You know, yeah. most races there's, there's one winner and it's, it's not most yeah. of us. So. Yep. Yeah. If you run, you're a runner. Absolutely. You know? If only the winners ran races, we wouldn't have any races. <laughs> no. Right. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. And that's, that's what I love about the Rochester community. You know, you can, and, and it's probably similar in a lot of communities, but you can run with the fastest person, you know, you can hang out at the after party and talk mm-hmm. about running with the guy that just ran a, you know, 217 marathon and they're just talking about running, you know, which it is, it is more of a running thing, you know, um, uh, there's only 32 pro football quarterbacks, right? right? There's like 32 starting quarterbacks. That's it. They don't get to hang out at a party where a hundred of them are the same as, you know, each other and can go out on a run together. Right. They don't get that. Which is kind of neat. Yeah. No, we're very fortunate in our sport that, uh, you know, we get access to the highest level of, of athletes and, you know, it's, it's, um, yeah, it's very unique. I, when I went out to the Boston Marathon this spring, uh, I was running with um, one of my friends uh, from the Buffalo area the day before, and we just casually saw Joan Benoit Samuelson. You know, she yeah. was running the other way, and I was like, "Holy crap, that was Joni!" Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it was just like one of those moments where, I'm like, yeah, this, you know, this is really cool. Yep. Yeah, and they just runners yeah. running. Yep. You know, yeah, that's what I like. However, I did have on the podcast recently, Jeff Beck and Zach Rivers. And I mentioned to you that I did want to talk about this. Mm-hmm. So we're going to take a brief aside because sure. way back in 2007, you ran Muddy Sneaker and it was your, your first Muddy Sneaker. Mm. Was it? Was it not? I don't think so. Hmm. I think I'd run it once or twice before that. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was two. So that was the seventh year. So maybe yeah. you did. Yeah. It's weird. The Muddy Sneaker records are very, yeah. you know. Back then, it was papyrus and right. ink blots. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So don't look for those early races; they're <laughs> going to be hard to find. 
So in 2007, though, um, that year is kind of a, you know, um, sticks out in history a little bit because Jeff went under 120 Mm -hmm. for that race. Now, we talk about that that was the easy course or the, the first course, and I don't know if it was easy or not. I never ran it. But you finished sixth place. Okay. And you ran 134. Okay. So that's pretty good, 134. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, maybe, sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure. But you were a spry age of 31 Ooh, at that point yeah. in time. So what, what was trail running like back in the aughts in in rochester you're leaving rochester you're driving down to naples Mm -hmm. ontario county park like to us that's kind of common now but i gotta imagine it was a little bit of a novelty back then yeah i mean there there weren't as many options right like there just weren't the uh the plethora of trail races that you can find now um and I think that's a great thing that there are so many more options now. I think a lot more people are introduced to the sport. It definitely was a smaller uh, and tighter knit. Uh, maybe I should walk that back. I don't really know if it was a tighter knit community because I think this trail community that we have now is also very tightly knit. I think you just have more um, groups right mm-hmm. that are very close with each other. Uh, but it was a smaller community at that point, and you had a lot of guys that were like – testing the trail waters coming over from the roads. You know, I mean, I know Scott Bagley, uh, you know, jumped out and ran some pretty solid, uh, muddy sneaker and, you know, frozen assets and, you know, some other, uh, trail races. Um, you know, so those guys, some of those guys were making that transition. Um, I met Mort through my teaching at Brighton. I taught one of his daughters my first and maybe second year. I might've taught her in seventh and eighth grade. Um, and so Mort, through that, you know, meeting him there and also through Medved got me to kind of go out and try those races. And, uh, once I tried a couple, I think, I think that might've been my third money sneaker. I did a couple really early on. And then I, I think that year I got a couple of my Brighton athletes to come down as well. Um, I think Mike Geary, who was the one that was in my homeroom and I, you know, mentioned, uh, he was, you know, the one that got me to start coaching he and Catherine Smith. And, uh, so, Mike, I believe, ran that race, and maybe a couple others as well. Yeah, you got you got Mike Gary by a minute and thirty seconds. Oh, did I? So it was probably the demoralizer. <laughs> I think that's where I uh, pulled yeah. away from him. He had a uh, yeah. When he's in there with no age, so okay. Yeah, he yeah. was he was probably a junior in high school at that yeah. point. One thirty five, forty five. Yeah, yeah. Zach Zach was at sixteen years old and had one thirty one. So yeah, it was a fast year. Yeah. Yeah, um, and that was, that was fun watching uh, Zach come around and, you know, kind of develop as a trail runner and a snowshoe runner. And at that point, um, you know, Brighton and Victor had, both had strong cross-country teams, so yeah. it was fun to rivalry. see Rivalry. Yeah, yeah, we had a nice rivalry going. And, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, so it was nice to watch him develop. And, you know, I got uh, to spend a lot of time with him and, and his parents. You know, we traveled out to different national meets together and uh, did a couple of the um, six-hour snowshoe races together. Yeah, and I didn't think about that. You're coaching at this time. You're 31. Mm-hmm. This is you're you're coaching, and you're racing against some of the people that you're that you're coaching. Yeah, yeah. That, that's the kind of place that it it was then, right? And yeah, and that was what precluded me from doing many of the um, the muddy sneakers because I loved the event and I would have done it probably annually had I not been. Mm-hmm. You know, usually it fell on the weekend of a 
track meet. And yeah. so that 2007, the stars must have aligned somehow that, uh, yeah. you know, I was able to get out and, and, uh, and race that weekend rather than being stuck at a track meet all day long. Yeah. You had mentioned that it was a, it was a, a tight knit, smaller community mm-hmm. and our, our, you know, we talk a lot about the Rochester community and definitely it is, a a tight knit group, but it's really lots of tight knit mm-hmm. groups. Yeah. Um, and that was I, why I kind of retracted my statement yeah. and, and yeah, cause yeah, I've noticed that, that, but that's what I think about. And, and they're all sort of related and people mix and mingle. Right. But I think about a group where maybe, maybe a few of the people in the group you didn't really like, but they were still runners and you still got their viewpoints and you still got to hear from them. And you're like, Oh, he's here this time. And you ran with them, <laughs> you know, or, or, but you didn't, you didn't have a choice to not run with them. Right. Yeah. You know, and I, I think a lot about like the modern days now we can choose to avoid anybody we don't like. Get away from somebody. Yeah. yeah. And you can choose to like, just ignore that side of whatever it is you don't want to be around at any right. point in time. But the trail running community back then people show up. That's who you're running with. Mm-hmm. Guy runs your same pace, whether you like him or not, you're running with him. Yeah. Yeah, and I never, I never perceived it as uh, somebody that wouldn't want to interact with. I think I came to fairly early on after college to realize that um, some people you're going to be great friends with, and some people you're going to be casual acquaintances with, and some people you'll run with them at races, and uh, you know to take everyone for what they are rather than what they aren't. You know, mm-hmm. and and once I I realized that and learned that, it's easy to not take things personally. Yeah. You know, so if somebody kind of rubs you the wrong way, it's like, well, yeah, that's okay. I mean, I'm only going to see him for an hour, you know, or whatever it might be. I'm yeah. not hanging out with him. I'm not living with him. You know, it's, I, I can't think of anybody in that early community that, uh, that I wouldn't want to see at a race. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, but you did see the same people over and over again. You didn't end up battling the same people mm-hmm. over and over again, <laughs> which is fun, actually. A lot yeah. of friendly rivalries. That, and, and, that's why the racing is fun Mm because you didn't have to win in order to win. Right. (laughs) You just had to beat that person behind you. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Yeah. So I, you know, um, before we leave the money sneaker topic, do you have thoughts on the original course versus the new course? Cause I know you ran it recently. Yeah. I ran it, uh, two years ago. Um, that was after running Boston the, the Sunday before I used to do that do Boston on a Monday and come back, um, on Saturday and run muddy. And it, it used to feel a lot better than it did two years ago. <laughs> um, <laughs> at 43 years old it, at that point, it did not, did not work out as well as I had hoped it would. Um, but I, you know what? I don't know the course well enough to say yeah. what the old one was and what the new one is yeah. and what the difference between them. I'm just trying to figure out these times versus those times. Right. Either yeah. either we've gotten all a lot slower or that, <laughs> you know. I but think I, I you think know. you had I think you had a lot more of the top road guys coming into the trail scene at that point. Mm. You know, and and I mean like Bagley, Beck, Rivers, like those guys are fast. Mm-hmm. on the roads yeah, and the Dave, track. Dave Bischoff was right. 13128. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And I think I ran down around 130 the first time I did it. Um, I was right around, I think I was 130. Uh, and Carl Johnston and, you know, a bunch of those guys yep. Carl Johnston that were Sam. just stud athletes, you know, and stud road racers. Um, 
you know, and, and you see, I mean, you want to see what speed does on the trail on that course now. I mean, look at Chad Malloy. So you know, close. And, yeah. So close and, to and that Chad, record you know, he was, year. he was one of my athletes at Canisius and he was, oh, really? yeah. And he was my grad assistant at that point when I got him to go down and run that course. And I'm just, I was just trying to expose him to trail racing, you know, and cause I'd hiked in the Adirondacks with him and we'd done some pretty gnarly hikes up there hitting, you know, four or five mountains in a day. And, um, I was like, yeah, Chad, you're going to love this, you know, go down and do it. And he did that race and then he did, uh, Ontario. Ontario. Yeah. Yeah. So you talked, you mentioned Ontario summit to him and, yeah. and he would have blew up that course if Tim Chichester right. didn't also yeah. show up that yeah. day. But those two racing Ontario, it, it gave me a new perspective for uh, Ontario summit's a hard race. Mm-hmm. It is. And, and let's not, you know, say like, Oh, it's, it's not a hard race. But seeing what those two can do on it, yeah, and you know specifically, we're talking about the 2018 um, Ontario Summit, where Chichester um, ran the half in 135, mm-hmm. right? Um, on his way to the full. On his way to the yeah. full. <laughs> so yeah, um, but that thinking about that, like seeing them do that, it redefines when you go, oh, this is hard. Right. Well, yes, it is. But also that's what that's what can be done on it. Right. You know, and and that's where I, I think when we're in our community, our running community, we get blinders to what exists outside of our running community. Mm-hmm. And that's what I've been exposed to, you know, with Team Brownstone that exposed me to a lot of the higher end running um, and now coaching at the division one level, like, you know, we're, we're a, a modestly good team at Canisius. We've got strong teams each year, but we also compete against Syracuse university and Iona and, mm-hmm. you know, um, Providence and, you know, teams that are winning national championships and you get to see that next level of running. And that's, you know, when you see those guys come out and post those sub one twenty five at muddy sneaker or, you know, hitting a, a 135, you know, for the first half of, of Ontario summits, because he's qualifying for Olympic trials in the marathon. We're seeing him hit a 142 on the track. Right. right? Yeah. Things like that. Yeah. You know, and Malloy, I mean, he was a sub 30 minute 10 K guy, you know, and a 14, 17, 5 K guy. So you take that and, you know, and put it over on the trails and they just move faster than Mm -hmm. us mortals, you know, how do how do you, um, how do you coach somebody like that? How do you coach somebody where you're not sure what their potential is? Well, you're not sure what anybody's potential is. Right. Right. And, I mean, it's, that's, right. that's universal with anybody truth, that yeah. you coach. I mean, Very true. I can't, when I'm recruiting somebody, I can't sit and tell them, hey, if you come in here, you're going to run X time in the 5K. I mean, I've had people that uh, didn't break 20 minutes in high school and they ended up running mid-17s in the 5K on the women's side, um, guys that were 17-40 and got down to sub-15, and guys that were sub-16 and only had modest improvement. You know, yeah. you never really know. It's all a matter of how hard are they willing to work, you know, what are they willing to buy into, um, what's their mental practice going to look like, how much time are they going to put into the little things that move them forward. Um but it's really there are there are fairly universal stimuli that we're looking for when we're training athletes, right? And you know that by um, exposing an athlete to a certain stimulus, that they are going to respond physically in a certain way. 
right? And so, like, everybody freaked out a couple of years ago when Galen Rupp, I think he might have broke the indoor 3,000-meter record uh, on the track out at maybe it was Boston um, or the Armory, some, you know, some really insanely fast track. And then he went and did, uh, you know, like, three by a mile in, oh, God, it was, like, low four-minute range, um, you know, as a workout afterwards, yeah, right? And everybody's like, oh, my God, this is so amazing. And, you know, you just look at it. It's He's basically doing three by one mile at his VO2 intensity, you know, mm-hmm. his, his interval intensity. I mean, it, it looks insanely fast, and it is incredibly fast, but it's it's his proper intensity for getting a certain stimulus. You know, so, like, Chad Malloy does the same workouts that I would have you do if I were coaching you for 5K, you know, it's, yeah. it's just, he does them faster. Right. You know, it's. Yeah. And I guess I was, I was projecting a little bit in the sense of like, I think about, well, what would I tell th- if I knew this person is such an amazing runner, what would I tell them to do to get better? Mm-hmm. But like you said, it's the stimulus, right? Right. You're a really great runner. Go run Stid Hill five times because you can do it and right. it'll make you better. But well, yeah, you I could was, run Stid Hill five times. Yep. And it's just going to take some time. Right. Yeah. But, but that's one of the fallacies and the mistakes that we make uh, as we translate training into, you know, training for the masses is we try to take what the elites do and do it for everybody else. Right. You know, so it's, you know, one of the things I did when I was training the, the uh, marathon and half marathon groups at Medved was, okay, we're not going to go out and run multiple 20 or 21 or 22 mile race or uh, long runs to train for the marathon because that was all figured out for elite level competitors, you know, and guys that are running in the mid two thirties, um, for them to go out and run a 20 miler, they're taking between two hours and two hours and 10 minutes Mm -hmm. for a lot of people to go out and run a 20 miler. They're going to take three to three and a half, you know, maybe Mm -hmm. some people four hours to run a 20 miler, you know? And so it's all about the time. Your, your body doesn't know miles. Your body knows duration at an intensity. Yeah. You know, and so that's where you have to be careful because, yeah, you know, I could send somebody out who's a stud and, okay, go do five times the outer loop at Bristol and they're fine. But mm-hmm. for us to do it, it would take us half or three quarters yeah. of a day. Pack a lunch. Right. You know, and it's a, it's a much larger workload on us, the, the yeah. time. And so that's what you have to look at a lot of times when you're translating elite level workouts down to what we're doing is how much time are they spending? What's the duration of their, uh, you know, their workout at that intensity and what's our duration going to be. Yeah. And I've really shifted more towards the time-based workouts. Absolutely. I I do. I do. There is something, you know, with our number system and our, just our culture, there is something really nice about a round number though. Yeah. It is nice to go do a 20 miler. Right. The brain likes it. Yeah. But it's also nice to do four hours. Right. You know, just yeah. go out four hours. Oh, it's a lot nicer to do four hours, especially if you're on trails, you know, than going out and slogging through a 20 miler on the roads. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I did one of my marathons that I was training for. I did my last long run um, in Green, New York. Mm-hmm. It's outside of Binghamton. I'm familiar. Yeah. yeah. And I did it on 12. I ran from town up past Raymond all the way up to now and back. Uh huh. Yeah, that's terrible. I stopped at a yard sale to buy right. water. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that was, it's just, it's mental conditioning as much as it is physical. 
It was. I brought a $20 bill, and I, I was like, I spent it all on a gas station on the way out, on the way back, and then I stopped at this garage sale. <laughs> yeah. There, I was like, are you, uh, can I buy some water from you? <laughs> She's like, sit down in this chair. <laughs> yeah, um, road 20 milers are oof. Yeah, they can um, be rough. Yeah, but it is it is mental training, and if you prepare, that's, that's what's training for a fall marathon, mm-hmm. right? It's not only the speed work that's giving you the VO2 and, you know, building red blood cells, but there's some mental, if you mess up and you run one of your long runs in the middle of the day, yeah, you're going to, you're going to learn some things. Yeah, absolutely. Yourself. Yep. Um, how do you do, how do you handle that negative side of coaching? Um, and, and I don't mean negative side. How do you handle when somebody's maybe not receptive or not willing to um, do the things that you know they're capable of? Mm-hmm. They're physically capable of, but mentally they're just not feeling it. Yeah, it depends on the situation. Um, most of the athletes that I have at my level are they want to be there and they want to work hard and they want to buy in, you know, and I really stress the process rather than the product. And so it's about getting after it every single day and, know races will happen you know the results will happen if you're buying into the process every day um so it's really about selling it and making practice an enjoyable space mm-hmm. you know and, and making sure that the team culture is good and, and having people that want to be there and want to be positive um it's hard to be negative and to not buy in when everybody around you is doing their thing you know and, and yeah. doing it well you know and that's a peer pressure type of thing you know like Somebody's not going to be goofing off over in the corner when everybody else is getting the work done. Um, You stand out like a sore thumb. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, you just get to a point where I I think they self-select out of running if if they don't want to do it at that point. Nobody's making them run at the college level. You know, some of them are on a, a modest scholarship, but... You know, that again is it's not paying. There are no full rides at, at Canisius College. There aren't yeah. full rides at most universities for running. You know, we're yeah. not we're not football no. or, or basketball or, you know, one of the no, football and basketball pretty much. Yeah. There's a couple others. <laughs> oh, that, lacrosse, yeah. yeah a I couple guess. others that have a lot of money, but um running is definitely not one of them. Mm-hmm. Um you know, my philosophy has always been, you know, even from my days at Brighton, make everything available that I can for those athletes that want to succeed. And if they don't want to do some of the things, then that's okay. Yeah. You know, like they're still getting something out of it. Um, at the college level, it's a little more like, hey, here are the things that are mandatory and you do have to do these. Like you got to get to team lift. Um, I was going to ask if you yeah. do, if you do cross training and stuff like that. We do that. some cross training. We do, um, you know, if we're looking for more aerobic stimulus and more volume than a person can put in on their legs. Um, and we do, you know, team lifts as well. Um, but it's, yeah, there are, there are a couple, there are a number of things that are non-negotiable. And then there are things that I say, Hey, you know, this is going to make you better. Um, you know, and that's, I'm always looking for those kids. That's a difference between good and great, right? Like the, the good people, if you say, Hey, listen to this podcast, cause this is really going to help you with your mental game. And they're like, no, no, no I'm good. Right. If, if somebody wants to be great, they're going to be like, yeah, give me that podcast coach. Do you have any others? What, what book are you reading now? You know, like what articles can I read? Um, you got to have that growth mindset, right. And not, yeah. not say, hey, you know what, I'm good with where I am. Yeah. 
I'm all right. Right. I, I got this. I'm good. Yeah, I got this. Yeah, like, <laughs> I got this is one of the worst things that you can possibly hear in the sports world. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, I think I've always kind of had that mentality of, you know, like my, my personal philosophy that I've, I've boiled down my elevator pitch is growth and guidance. Yeah. Right? Like, I'm constantly internalizing everything I can. I want to learn. I want to be better today than I was yesterday. I want to be smarter today than I was yesterday, more experienced. And then I want to synthesize all that information and give it to my student athletes and the people around me in a more efficient way. You know, boil it down to what we're doing um, running wise or, you know, academically or, you know, just as human beings, right? Like it's not just all about running. Running is a a piece of who I am and a piece right. of who they are. So it might be a way that you express your character, but right. it's, it's not you. It doesn't define, yeah. certainly right. doesn't define me. Although many people define me as the runner, you know, and mm-hmm. that's, those are the rough conversations, you know, or, where you, you know, you meet somebody that, uh, for the first time they're like, Oh, so you're a runner. Mm-hmm. So have you run a marathon? Yes. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of Barkley? Right. Yeah. Right. Yes. <laughs> I did get that for about two years. Uh-huh. While that documentary was hot and, uh, yeah. you know, it's, but, uh, you know, I'm just trying to, um, take everything meaningful and pass it on to my student athletes. And if they choose to internalize it, that's great. If not, you know, not everybody's there at this point in their life. Well, it's always, it's, it's easier for people to put a label on something in order to try to understand it. Sure. Absolutely. You're, you're the runner. Mm-hmm. You're, you're, or you're the coach. Right. You know, it's yeah. hard for them to think of you as um, something multifaceted, right? right? Because then they're going to be like, well, wait, is he being my friend right now? Is he being my coach? Right. Is he being the guy that I had beers with last? Is he being somebody I'm competing up against? Who is he? Right. Oh, no, he's coach. You yeah. Know? Yep. Yeah, and that's something where uh, I have to wear different hats in different arenas, Um usually I'm just me, right? And like I had more of a persona when I was coaching at the high school level. I just had kind of this alter ego of Huckle, you know, Mm -hmm. and that's who I was. Um, And it it served me fairly well, but I think there was a disconnect between the athletes and myself, and they didn't always see me as a person, Mm -hmm. right? And so I've kind of dialed that back a bit at the collegiate level and let them see me more personally. I try to, you know, bring my family to practice or meets and, you know, um, talk about my wife, talk about my daughter, talk about more, you know, not overshare obviously with personal mm-hmm. things because, you know, mm-hmm. nobody wants to be burdened with my personal crap. Um, oh, I, I do. Give you it do? All. Oh, excellent. <laughs> I finally found somebody. Um, but you know, to let them see me as a human being because we're yeah. going to establish more meaningful connections that way. And that's really what this is all about, mm-hmm. right? Running. I mean, that's, that's one of the greatest things about running is the connections that you make. Yep. Yeah, and it's a challenge. I I think back to my high school, and it's really fresh right now, obviously, Mm -hmm. as I mentioned, but it was really hard to think of a lot of your teachers as people. Yeah, people. Because you've never known them in that capacity. Right. And if they were kind of doing their job right at at that time in the 80s and 90s, if they were doing their job right, you didn't know them as people. You know, I, I think... We've changed our attitude a lot towards that lately, and I, I definitely appreciate it. I remember many more of my college professors than I do of my high school, mm-hmm. and admittedly, my high school um, teachers had much more of an impact on my life, you know. And so, it's it's a weird, unfortunate thing to 
be at that age where you can't appreciate all of the effort that these people are putting into your life. Right. You know? Yeah, it's it's a weird space, right? Adolescence is like the culmination of your egocentrism. You know, it's just <laughs> for most of us. Right. Yeah. Well, like, for most of us, yeah. I, I tell most of the uh you know, the the women that I coach, like, hey, just be patient. The twenties are a dark time for men, right? Like they're gonna hopefully grow out of this at some point. By the time you hit thirty two, thirty five, they should be right around, you know, like really able to engage and yeah. yeah. They'll either have figured it out or you will know that they're right, not that they're gonna never figure. going to figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um do you have do you have mentors or people that you look to, um, either running or not, to help you with some of this growth and guidance? Yeah, sometimes. Um, you know, like I mentioned, my college coach, uh, John Izzo, was a, a big mentor of mine. And, um, you know, he's the one that helped me get into the college game because it's it's really tough to break into the NCAA from the high school level. Um, there is kind of a, a standard way that you're supposed to go about becoming uh, an NCAA coach, and that usually is you play collegiate sports, you then oh. are a volunteer assistant or a yeah. you know, grad assistant someplace, then you go to assistant coach, and then you become a head coach. You stay in the system the whole time. You stay in the system, right? So yeah. you know, coming from the high school level to the college level, I think I applied for probably six or seven jobs and never got an interview. Um, until Canisius reached out to my you know, college coach and said, hey, we're, we're trying to round out our applicant pool. Can you suggest somebody for us? And, you know, he inserted my name there and, and called me up and said, hey, prep for this. And, you know, they called me and, and it went well and, you know, I got the job. But, um, yeah, so, I mean, he definitely has been a major force in my life, uh, a guiding force for me. Um, you know, some of the standards, uh, my grandfather on my dad's side, uh, was, was, uh, a very stoic world war II veteran. And so I, I took a lot from him, um, the way he conducted himself and, um, he was a, a great community man, uh, put a lot of time into the small town that they, that they lived in and, uh, into the church and a lot of, you know, different community aspects. So I always respected that and, and watched him and what he did and, um, I definitely took a lot from my father as well, who was more of a uh, an emotional individual, right? He feels life, right? And so that's where I, I picked up a lot of that from is, is watching my dad and, you know, how, because, you know, coming out of World War II and, you know, that sort of thing, like my grandfather was not a big touchy-feely guy, you know, he <laughs> never, never told me that he loved me, uh, but I always knew, you know, but it was just yeah. like, you know, I love yeah. you in a military style. Yeah. It's, you an, know? it's an implied. Yes, very implied. The, the fact that I'm here. Not overtly, stuff. yeah. 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 <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, a lot of strong male figures. And, um, and and my mother was also somebody who, uh, you know, was very instrumental in my life. And um, she passed away when I was 30 or 31. Um, and that was a, a definitely a turning point for me. You know, something that kind of got me totally out of, I think, the, the egocentric place that I was and, and I started to see running as um, uh, from a wider scope right and and, and my interactions uh, with other runners and, and how it was a great community instead of just showing up and trying to win races yeah. you know? the thought the thought that just came to my head when you said that was the ability to or the perspective of giving to running rather than taking from running yeah and and I I 
we mentioned before with uh, at the start of this with the podcast and with just generally talking like there is something special to giving to the thing that you love rather than merely you know um benefiting mm-hmm. or or taking from it you know absolutely and and i think one of the the reasons that i i i give as much as i can is a revelation that i had that you know and this is not any humanity revelation. This is just something that came to me that um, we are all inherently worthy. Like we are all born with the same worth, every human being, you know, and if somebody wants to try to convince me of that, otherwise I would love to have that conversation (laughs) with them. Um, But you determine your own value, right? And so I was struck by a couple of conversations that you and and, um, Mike Weldon had on your podcast about they they kind of went in the direction of feeling valuable within the running community, especially when you're dealing with like injury, mm-hmm. you know, or if you're just not at a point where you're training well and you're not fit enough to show up for races. And I, I think sometimes we lose sight of, you know, the injury might not be a controllable factor, but if you're injured, you can still be valuable to the running community, right? Like mm-hmm. making you fast doesn't make you a good person or valuable to our community. If you take out the top 10 from any given race, that race still happens, mm-hmm. right? If you take out the top 100 people at the Boston Marathon, the Boston Marathon still happens, mm-hmm. right? There's going to be another 100 that will slot in in the back end, and it will still happen, and it's a great event, right? And so it's I, – I think if you're just focused on your own running – which we can tend to do sometimes and tend to focus on the, the product, the results. We don't look at the, the real impact that we're having on the community, you know? And so anybody has the power to be vulnerable or not vulnerable. Well, yeah, vulnerable as well, but Mm -hmm. to be valuable Mm -hmm. within the running community, show up and work an aid station. If you're hurt, show up and work an aid station. Race directors always need help. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, that's a constant, um, do a podcast, right? Mm-hmm. Like coach, you know, cause anybody who's been running for a while can coach somebody. There's always somebody less experienced than you. Mm-hmm. You're not going to make great money off of it. Right. But you can help people. You know, mm-hmm. you can, you can coach people. You can show up and volunteer at a, a local middle school or high school. I mean, they'll make you get fingerprinted and do background checks and all that good stuff. But, um, if you want to be valuable to a community, that's, that's totally mm-hmm. within your control. And so that's where I find my greater value. If if I had just been a fairly competitive runner on the Rochester scene in my 20s and early 30s and then shut it down and walked away from it, that limits my um, long-term effect, mm-hmm. right, my, yeah. my long-term um, product. And so now with coaching and, and staying in it and in introducing my athletes to the Twisted Branch, like I've got two guys – that want to do Twisted Branch next year after they graduate, you know, and I've got kids that are going mm-hmm. off and running. I, I ran the Boston this spring with five of my alumni from Canisius, mm-hmm. and I've run it with some of my Brighton alumni, and um, I just had a guy, um, James Hiltunen, uh, who was one of my, like, mid-packers on the Brighton team, just reached out to me out of nowhere in November and just ran his first 100-miler this summer, you know, and, like, they're still getting out there and exploring the world and getting things yeah. done, you know? Yeah. So you don't have to be a coach to be valuable, but there are any number of ways that you can increase your value in the running community. And I think we, we sell ourselves short on that a lot of times. Yeah. I think we have, um, 
that that again that label thing if you define yourself as a runner mm-hmm. but you're not running that's difficult right right like i'm a runner well hmm, i don't see you run any right well okay but i i'm part of the running community right right i these are my friends these are my people this is the community to which i contribute that's a lot more subtle and nuance and you know, it's harder to slap a label on that. Mm-hmm. You, nobody's like, what are you? Oh, so what are you? Oh, I'm an aid station volunteer. Right. That's what I do. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Know? What's, well, I mean, what, what do you do? No, I, that's I what crew. I crew. Yeah. yeah, I crew and I'm, I, I'm damn good at it. <laughs> yeah. I'm a professional crewer. Yeah. Damn it. Right. But uh, there's something great to crew and races. Oh, I absolutely. Love I love crew and races. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, the the root of all those is I run. Mm-hmm. So therefore, I'm a runner. And if I'm not running, am I still a runner? Right. And I think that's a disservice that we do in our country. And I don't know about other countries and if they do it better. But um, we don't help kids build a help, healthy psychological framework as to who they are and what makes them valuable, right, mm-hmm. and how they, can, how they can increase their value in an organization, Right. Because from a very early age, if you see success in something, people give you praise. And so you want more success. And so you think the higher I climb in the standings, the high, you know, the closer I finish to first, more people are going to love me and like me because at the root of everything, we just all want connection. Mm-hmm. Right. And so you don't realize that you can have a more meaningful connection just by showing up and volunteering than you can by busting your butt training, you know, 20 hours a week mm-hmm. and going out and placing top five at a race, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's something where it starts very early. And, and when your whole framework is built around, I am a runner and yeah, then you're injured or you're not running. Then where yeah. do you fit into that group? Where do you fit into that society? Yeah. And you can volunteer and coach a lot longer than you can finish top five. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. And that's, you know, and, and we we can go off on this tangent if you want, but that's what I see a lot of the um, ultra records breaking. Right, mm-hmm. all the hundred milers across the country are falling. Right, from fast guys that are running real fast, fast women that are running real fast for two, three years, and then they're not running anymore. Right, and like that's great, you broke that record. Mm-hmm. Mm, are you are you still running? And then now they gotta face that question for the rest of their life. Are you still running? Right. And when are you, when are you gonna get back out there again? Well, right. you know, you know that's a huge burden to carry. Yeah, absolutely. So I don't know. That's that's a weird place to be in. Like I was great this one day, mm-hmm. you know, but you could be you could be great a lot longer than that. Yeah, and, and I think you have to look at too. Um, those results don't bring happiness, right? Because if you go out and you bust your butt and you crush a course record, then you're going home and you wake up the next morning and you're still the same you, mm-hmm. right? And if you don't have that framework, uh, you know, if you don't have that uh, network around you of friends and meaningful connections, mm-hmm. then it's not as fulfilling. It's a it's a dopamine hit, mm-hmm. you know. It's it's pleasure versus happiness, yeah. You know, and and a lot of people don't understand that there's. There's not enough victories, medals, trophies, certificates in the world to to scratch that itch that we have, mm-hmm. right? You're always going to feel that like, oh, man, it'd just be great to win or it'd just be great to, to get an age group award or, you know, whatever. But that's just a quick dopamine hit when they call your name and people are clapping for you and you go up and you get your 
your buff, you know, or, or whatever it is mm-hmm. that you, they hand you. And, um, and that's fun, but it's not, it's not as meaningful as showing up and, and getting that heartfelt handshake from somebody that, or a hug from somebody that you haven't seen in a couple of months. And they're like, wow, man, I'm glad you're here, mm-hmm. you know, and, and you catch up with them before or after the races, or, you know, you come up with somebody in a race and you're helping them through your, you know, I mean, there's just a lot out there that's much more meaningful than just the product at the end. Yeah, it's it's more sustainable, mm-hmm. right? Yes. And and don't get me wrong, it's amazing to see somebody go <laughs> and break a course record at Western States. Absolutely, it's, it's amazing. But as you said, it's it's um, that's done, right? Right. And somebody comes along and breaks your course record, right? Yeah. Like I absolutely love Scott Jurek's book north mm-hmm. i love it i've not read a, it yet it's it's an amazing it's you know him and jenny and their journey up the appalachian trail right but what's great about it is you know um carl Meltzer shows up and helps him do the whole thing mm-hmm. and you know he tried to help Meltzer, and then Meltzer went and broke it but that it was about the fkt right but at some points in the book, it was not like he quit on the FKT and he was like, Rrr. and then Jenny was like, you kidding? You got me all the way out here right. and we're doing this thing and you're going to do the thing. But it was their experience. It was their journey. Mm-hmm. It was that FKT means nothing if they don't have all those experiences in each other all along the way. You right. know? Yep. And the fact that his biggest rival on the AT, Carl Meltzer, is the guy there that's helping him and imbuing him with all the knowledge. Right. And then those two do all that, get all famous, write the book, and then String Bean comes along and yeah. just blows right. him out yeah. of the water. Yep. So the bo- it, that would be completely f- fleeting, right? Mm-hmm. It would have only been two years that Jurek had, uh, one year that Jurek had the FKT. But instead what he has a story and a, and a life's journey with his wife and then they had the baby and he's got that bond with, you know, everybody that read the book and all right. that. It's much more than I got there in this amount of time. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, it wouldn't have lasted. I love that neither one of them got the FKT, right. yeah. <laughs> you know, and String Bean just goes and does it. So, uh, yeah. Um, so we went down a couple lanes there. Anything we didn't uh, talk about that you wanted to catch up on? Mm, that's a good question. Um, no, I mean, I'm pretty much open to talking about anything. Um, you know, I think uh, running has definitely changed for me as I've gotten older and a bit slower. You know, it's... It's just I can't get out and do the same things that I used to do. But, um, you know, I, I still encourage people to stick with it because it still feels the same. You, mm-hmm. you know, it still feels just as hard, and you still get that same benefit out of it. You're just running slower, you know, yeah. and, and turning up to the races is still great. Um, you know, I'm not up vying for the lead anymore, but, um, you know, like uh, many on the Jenny was fantastic this year. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and the crowd that was there, the the competitors that yeah. were there, and uh you know, afterwards it was just, um, the party. Right? Yeah, it was great. You know, sitting yeah. around and, and eating the garbage plates and, uh, you know, seeing everybody as they came through and talking mm-hmm. with the people, you know, like, um, I'm good friends with Jim Molesky. Um, he had a great day, so it was fun, you know, hearing about his race and how it went and up front. And, um, you know, then, uh, 
uh, Garrett Blondell, uh, you know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm friends with uh, him and his wife, Catherine. She ran for me at Canisius. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. So I got to catch up with them. And then I, I ran with um, Katie Gadu, who was Katie mm-hmm. DeRusso. Uh, mm-hmm. She's a good friend of mine. And we ran a lot of the race together before she took off. Um, another friend, Zach Tomasic, you know, we were racing or running together for pretty much the entire race. So, yeah, I mean, it was it was just great to be out on the trails and, yeah, not racing at the same capacity than I have been in the past, but it's it was much more about the relationships, you mm-hmm. know, and, and um, I just left and was buoyed for, you know, days or weeks after that. I'm like, wow, I'd just, I'd love to get back out. When's the next trail race? You know, when mm-hmm. am I going to get back out into that crowd and yeah. experience that again? And you still, you did relatively well taking it easy. I yeah, mean, I was happy with it. Sub eight, that's yeah. really good yeah. out there, so. Yeah, I, I mean, there definitely wasn't any taking it easy. I mean, it's it was forty <laughs> miles of <laughs> slogging through the mud on the second half, and yeah. you know, it um, uh, it was it was fun. It was definitely a great experience. Yeah, but in contrast, you know, uh, what two weeks before that you did Ontario Summit, mm-hmm. a a marathon in five seventeen. Yeah, and then you go out and break out a forty miler in seven fifty one. Yeah, so you're still out there. Yeah, I'm still getting getting out there. Getting in your dad miles. I'm still fit. I'm I'm pushing the stroller now. I've started doing that. uh, Oh, wow. You know, for about a month now. So that's interesting. Yeah. That's, (laughs) yeah. I I say, I I always said I couldn't do it. It would mess up my gait. Yeah, it's funky. It would would be weird. I'd be injured. Yeah. I'm hoping I don't get injured from it, but I'm not, I'm not putting in killer miles. I mean, my daughter doesn't have that kind of attention span at one year old. I mean, I, I can get in like 25, 30 minutes and she's. She's ready to be done. Yeah, I pushed a double stroller a couple times because mm-hmm. I had the twins, and yeah, it, it was fine. I loved it. I I ended up more walking with them, or we would take them through the woods and Black right. Creek, and that was much more fun. Yep. Yeah, they we, never they never got to experience the wind in their hair. Yeah, well, yeah, we've got a double because we're expecting in December, so we're wow. gonna have our second. Yeah, well, congratulations! Thank you. And uh, so we got the double preemptively, and. Um, Man, you you go into like a, a three mile an hour headwind and that thing is a sail, right? It just stands <laughs> yeah. you right up and you're going nowhere. So I'm yeah. like, all right, I guess this is a strength workout day. We're just gonna <laughs> plug away at this. Power through. Yep. All right. So to cap it off. What's the dumbest thing Jeff Green's ever done? Oh boy. <laughs> For a super intelligent individual, um, he doesn't always apply that that knowledge to his running. Um, he just likes to go into things just, uh, you know, seat of his pants and, and, and just see what happens, which, which is fun. Um, except you worry about him, you know, yeah. I, I think, I think attempting the, uh, the FKT on the through hike of the Adirondacks was right up there for him. Yeah. I don't know if at that point, if he had done all the peaks yet, no, he hadn't. Yeah. He, had, he had rehearsed them yes. in his mind. Yeah. Well, that's know? visualization is important. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah one of my favorite ones that he did though was the um the canal path you know from buffalo yeah, to Rochester. yeah no that was a cool one actually yeah yeah and i've one. thought about doing that at some point in time um with less uh vomiting and and <laughs> whatever else he was extruding during that run than, oh than he goodness. had um did he wear pajamas in high school or is that a new a new affectation? Oh, pajama pants were real big on the the high school team. Okay, yeah. so that's he's just keeping the tradition. I think alive, so. Though. Yeah, he's being true to himself. All right, he's yeah. keeping it going. Absolutely, that's, that's not a new like rich person's mannerism. No, no, no. He's okay. not gotten old and eccentric yet. 
<laughs> well, he's gotten old. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, him, I have a friend, Paul Madden, and Jeff Green and Paul Madden were 40 before they were 20, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's a possibility. Yeah. All right, man. Well, thanks for swinging by. We'll yeah. let you get on your uh, long journey home. Oh, yeah, the freeway. You, uh, you, you practice in the morning, so you got some running in the morning? Uh, yeah, I will be running in the morning. Athletes aren't back on campus yet, though, so okay. I've still right. got about August 14th. two weeks until they come back, um, two right. weeks from tomorrow. So still got a little bit of time to myself, and uh, yeah, just those last few days of summer vacation are yeah. winding down. Yeah, well, I always had to go back to school right after my birthday. So and When's your birthday? August 17th. Okay, yeah, I'm September 3rd, so usually my, my birthday was the first day of school Yeah, <laughs> right around there. <laughs> Yep. Yeah. So now I get a birthday present every year. I get Twisted Branch. Nice. So. <laughs> yeah. Are you on the course? What are you doing? Yep. I'll be doing the timing as always. Okay. Yeah. Nice. After I after I had my DNF the second year, mm-hmm. I was relieved I wouldn't have to keep running it because if you finish now you got a streak. Right. right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I I fortunately fortunately or unfortunately uh, I probably would still be running it except they moved it a week earlier. Yeah. And so it's right when we come in for the preseason. Yeah. And then the day after Twisted Branch, we will go down to Allegheny State Park and do four days in the park. Oh, and wow. so for me to facilitate that camp after I did it the first time, like the, the next morning after I did that first Twisted Branch, I stood up and I started passing out. So I sat, I laid back down for a while. I'm like, I don't think I could do a preseason camp after – yeah. you know, experiencing that. So yeah, stairs were an impossibility. Oh, my. The day yeah, the that is, it is a beautiful race. It, mm-hmm. You know, like I love the trail and, and Scott puts on a fantastic yeah. uh, event, but yeah, it's, it's, it earns that Western States qualifier Yeah, for sure. Brutally beautiful. Absolutely. That's, That's a great way to classify it. <laughs> All right, man. Well, thanks a lot. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> Well, there you have it. Running fast and shaping our youth. In the woods, on the track, and at home. Huckle is uh, surely a force to be reckoned with. Uh, Be sure to check out the episode show notes for links to some of the topics in the episode, like a bio of Coach Izzo, Nate's mentor. Um... Canisius College, where Nate coaches, and check out those cross-country teams. And um, you can also see those uh, 2007 Muddy Sneaker results. Um, You can also find links to our Strava Run Group and the Patreon page. By the way, um, it's been a little while, so here's a shout-out to all of uh, our new Patreon supporters, including Steve Buck, Jennifer Beliveau, and Jesse Canfield, thank you all so much for contributing to the show. Um, and everybody who has contributed, your continued financial support helps keep me improving this podcast. If you look forward to this podcast each week and it inspires, educates, or entertains you regularly, consider becoming a supporter. You can check out the homepage or the bottom of the show notes and click the Patreon banner. Please know that any amount of support is appreciated. Thank you. Now, as this episode comes out, I am actually heading down to Twisted Branch 100K. If you've ever heard this uh, 
podcast, you might have heard about that little race before. So if you're going to be around or near the uh, Naples area, if you're anywhere within, say, like a four to six hour drive, why not come out and hang out? Uh, we got free camping and all that. And uh, me and so many people who have been guests on the show are just going to be doing that sweet, sweet trail running thing, you know, for 18 to 20 hours or you know, if you're one of those fasty pants, maybe a little bit more. Uh, and if you do stop by, please come up and say hi and introduce yourself. It is a uh, a real delight for me to meet listeners, even if I might seem haggled and harried after 20 hours of timing on Ultra. I'll be fine. And uh, please come and say hi. Keep in mind, the number one way you can always support the show is to tell a friend and help them subscribe. And if they seem interested, you know, help them actually take it and poke their phone and push all the buttons or the glass screen. I don't know. Push the things for them so that they get it because people don't get podcasts. So help them out. One last thing. I'm always interested in your comments and feedback on the show, even if I don't say it every episode. So please drop me a line at chris at runninginsideoutpodcast.com and let me know your thoughts. Thank you all for listening, subscribing, and telling your friends. Thanks for sharing your stories and getting out there to create more stories. Until next episode, be thankful for what you've been given, be proud of what you've achieved, and let go of what you've lost. See you out there.